Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This episode is with Scott Robinson. Scott is the Managing Director at The Edge. Scott works with a number of different players uh, working right up to the Premier League. And we talk about in this episode his background and his career so far, uh, the creation of The Edge, what came about uh, from creating the company, We talk about why players seek out individual support. So obviously in this case, in terms of nutrition, but we have spoke about that before in terms of strength conditioning. We talked about some nutritional habits of high performers. We talk about optimal fueling for game day, the benefit of splitting days into quarters, which is something that that Scott talks about over on his website. He's got a blog over on his website where he discusses that. Um, And then we also talk about boosting immunity versus protecting immune health, the difference between the two and sort of the approach we can take on making or protecting players' immune systems to the best as as possible, basically. So some really good stuff in this one. Obviously, more of a nutrition-based episode with Scott, but he's someone that I've wanted to get onto the podcast for a long time now. He does a lot of work with footballers, but also in combat sports like boxing as well. So it was great to chat with him on this episode. I'm delighted to say that we have now got two events confirmed coming up over the next few weeks, two networking events. The first being on Wednesday, the 16th of February at Everton, the Blue Base, so Everton in the community. We've got three speakers on this event. Senior sports scientist at Everton, David Flower. Academy performance psychologist at Everton, Lewis Charnock. And also Senior Lecturer in Sports Science at Liverpool Hope University, James Malone, are all going to be presenting on this one. So really looking forward to the event. Ticket sales are going great on this one. We've got loads of practitioners booked onto it already. Um, You can still go and get yourself a ticket, though, by going to footballfitfed.com and clicking the shop tab. And then we have confirmed our second event coming very soon Wednesday the 2nd of March we're going to be down at Oxford United with performance director at Oxford Chris Neville is going to be presenting for us as well as the head of sports science at Oxford United Harry Routledge so two brilliant presenters on this one really looking forward to the event at Oxford Wednesday the 2nd of March 6 till 9 p.m so if you are local to the area you want to come along to a networking event again just go to footballfitfed.com click the shop tab and you'll find tickets there as this podcast goes out they are at the early bird price so make sure you snap your tickets up just before we get into the episode I want to say a huge thank you to our sponsors Black Box Fitness Black Box are the world's best training equipment accessory and apparel brand Black Box believes that training isn't just a checkbox on your to-do list. Training is a lifestyle, continually seeking your highest performance in the gym, on the pitch, at home, and in everyday life. To perform at your best, you need the best, and Black Box has you covered. So make sure you go and check them out on social media at Black Box Fitness. And also a huge thank you to Rezzle as well for supporting the podcast. Rezzle is the world's leading cognitive training platform for sport. By using VR technology, Rezzle and Player22 can create game-style scenarios and recreate pressure to help you prepare for the real thing. So go and check them out on social media at Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. So a huge thank you to our sponsors. Let's get into the podcast now, episode 173 with the Managing Director of The Edge, Scott Robinson. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 173. I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast today by Scott Robinson. Scott's the Managing Director at The Edge. Scott, how are we doing? Good, thanks, mate. How are you? I'm good, thank you, mate. This one's been a long time coming, hasn't it? We've been trying to fit this one in the books. You're a busy, busy guy. Um, It's great to to have you on the podcast, mate. And I I know there's some real value you can can bring to the listeners um, from the work that you do. But can you just start us off? I've just mentioned about The Edge, but can you give us a little bit of background on yourself, but also the company as well? Yeah, no problem. Well, firstly, congrats on 173 episodes. That's a, that's a beast right there. Um, so hopefully I can live up to the, the quality of the other people who've been on. Um, yeah, my background is, um, I guess it started off quite straightforward in that I, as a young child, I was really interested in sport. Um, didn't quite cut it at that 
level can't even blame it on an injury or anything like that just <laughs> just wasn't quite good <laughs> in the football space um and probably dread to think what I'd even be like at five aside these days but um but yeah so kind of had an interest there and followed sports science uh through to like university and then branched into my master's where I got a little bit more specific um in terms of like sports physiology um, and during that time, actually, I was really lucky to be mentored by Professor Don McLaren, who at the time was the head of nutrition at Everton Football Club, which I think is what, you know, seeing Don um, kind of in, in the trenches, so to speak, at Everton and getting involved in the nitty gritty with that kind of really made me enjoy the nutrition side of things. And yeah, so I started practicing as a consultant during that time, worked at a few different football clubs um, and then progressed on to do a PhD at the University of Birmingham um, in exercise metabolism and nutrition uh, with Gareth Wallace, who is an amazing supervisor. And um, yeah, and then continued to work in sport, started to work a little bit in boxing as well and um, ultimately ended up setting up my own company, which I never really thought I would I would do. Um, it was quite a deep dive and a lot of things to be learned, um, but we're getting there. And yeah, now um, nowadays we've set up The Edge, which is basically we specialize in personalized nutrition, uh, physiology, metabolism, testing um, for athletes mainly. Uh, also kind of like corporate execs, CEOs, youth athletes, um, but mainly working across elite sport across a range of different sports and just yeah just really lucky to have a good team around me so it's nice to give opportunities to other practitioners um we've got two full-time members of staff um and then also a few consultants as well so yeah that's it in a in a nutshell i guess brilliant mate and some anyone that's not seen some of the athletes you're working with some serious athletes as well some serious boxers and uh, footballers yeah. as well so um yeah some top top athletes so go and check out the website and see some of the some of the athletes that these guys are working with but i wanted to start by because we've had a few conversations on the podcast around players seeking out individual work and it's always been mainly talked about sort of strength conditioning um but i wanted to ask about why you feel players reach out to you for the work that you do on that individual basis mm. Yes, yeah, it's a great question, actually. Um, and I think there's there's a few kind of like core reasons. Um, and I think that players are now more receptive to nutrition. I think even just looking a few years back, it was pretty novel, pretty new to them. They generally, and through no fault of their own, just thought that, yep, yeah, I eat clean, I eat healthy, and didn't quite realise that there's quite a lot more to it. So I think initially it was just about pointing that out to them and saying, look, we can gain you the competitive advantages by doing X, Y, and Z. And then kind of obviously focusing on the world-class basics and building up from that. So I think players nowadays, because obviously the, the competition's always been tight, but I think it's getting tighter. And also not just within, what's really interesting actually, what a couple of players have said to me is that they're not just competing against the players on the opposite side of the pitch, but they're also competing against their own team in a insofar as they're competing for the shirt number yeah so they want to be going above and beyond they want to be doing additional things to what the players within the club are doing and ultimately having almost that handheld approach which is where we can make sure that every base is covered with their nutrition and try and make it as seamless as possible for them obviously coaching them through the process so they be can become more autonomous but also kind of doing that groundwork for them, much like um, like their manager or agent might do on the business side of things. If yeah. we can relieve that burden from them and then they can know, rest assured, reassurance, they're firing on all cylinders, every base is covered. If they're injured, if they're ill, whatever it might be, if their schedule changes, we can make sure that everything aligns perfectly and they can then, you know, reap the rewards of that. So I think, yeah, I think individualized support is becoming much more, prevalent and, and popular among players which is really good to see and actually you know we we're not exclusive we don't exclude ourselves from the club we actually collaborate really closely with the club nutritionists who I think have a massive challenge on their hands sometimes hmm. because maybe there's only one of them there even if they're full-time most are part-time they've got 30 players to look after 
and it's so difficult to do like I, I found that when I worked in clubs that no matter how much I was in it was so hard to offer that level of support so yeah so we like to make sure that we align closely with the clubs with the nutritionists as well because ultimately we've got the players best interests at heart yeah, it's, it's very similar to, I suppose, the the external practitioner in, a, in an S&C scenario as well, isn't it? That um, practitioners in clubs are doing great jobs, but a lot of the time there's, there's such big numbers that it's hard to really pin down and individualise. I suppose it's a very similar similar sort of situation. I was going to ask as well, because you've got obviously sport, um, you've got experience even in different sports like boxing and these um, sports where they, athletes have got to make weight. And yeah. probably, like, arguably, I don't know whether this is a correct statement or not, they're going to maybe understand a little bit more about nutrition than footballers have possibly in the past. How do you think the players that you've worked with in terms of footballers have, have sort of ranked alongside other athletes in terms of their knowledge of, of nutrition? Yeah, um, I think, to, to be honest, it's, it's pretty good. I wouldn't say they're too far off the boxes. So, you know, everyone's, everyone's really different. And it all depends upon, you know, the kind of surroundings in which they've come through the youth ranks to, if they've been able to have that support before. And I think no matter their starting point or their goal, you know, we can work towards improving that just by understanding the athlete and understanding, you know, where are they at now? What are the core things that we need to focus on? And then just dialing in from there, really. The boxes are, I would say, are a different breed. Yeah, you, know, you could call them, you know, dinners are, oh, it's never this, by the way, but dinners are a cucumber and a lettuce, an iceberg <laughs> lettuce. And if you explain to them why it would benefit or how it would help them, they would do it. They're like, a diff- I probably couldn't say the same for footballers. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the footballers, we're really lucky that we work with some really good ones. They're so professional and they're also very coachable, um, which is a major benefit because that's where we can have the most, the most impact. The big thing on that, I suppose, as well, is that obviously weight is a massive part of, of their sport, isn't it? Like when footballs are getting weighed, but it's not going to determine whether they compete or not. Whereas like boxers, it does, doesn't it? So I suppose that, that is where the difference lies. Yeah, definitely. And, and even with the boxers, you know, we try and explain to them and teach them that it's not just about making the weight. They often see that as their success but actually the job's not done. And actually throughout camp, you need to get all the other advantages, but also make weight as best as possible. But yeah, you're right. You know, the footballers aren't under that pressure. And equally, the boxers usually have one opportunity to perform and to do well. And it's just them in the ring. Whereas a footballer obviously competes once, twice a week, you know, maybe can afford a, a couple more slip-ups without it being so detrimental. And they've also got 10 other players around them too so yeah different different approaches for different sports I guess and I wanted to touch on some of the the athletes that you've worked with obviously not not delving into anyone specific but just overall some of these high performers that you work with consistently and talk about some of the the nutritional habits that you see with these high performers across football but across different sports as well yeah great great question I think you know, the whole habits side of things is really popular at the moment and, and rightly so. Um, so it's great to see that that side of things being in the in the limelight. And probably one of the most amazing things that's that's remarkably consistent across the high performers across lots of different sports, and maybe it's not necessarily nutrition related, although it kind of is, is just their just their their resilience to changing situations and environments and highs and lows and how they manage that like even at the worst times if something isn't going right their response is right this is the problem what's the solution they don't dwell on it they're just like right this is the crappy situation that i'm in what can i actually do about it and how do i get myself out of this so i think that's that's amazing to see i think in terms of a nutrition perspective they're really good at focusing on what's important and with that, I know I mentioned it before, but just getting the world-class basics right and doing it consistently. It's not particularly sexy. It's not something that will sell products. It's not something that you might sing and shout about on social media, but actually they know relative to their own goals and their training schedules and their competition schedules, what those basics are. And they're just so good 
at executing them daily. They get into really good structures, really good routines. And then from that, they're able to then build and go to the next level. So we kind of term it like rocks, pebbles, sand. So they focus on the rocks always, then the pebbles, then the sand, the nitty gritty supplement, so to speak. Um, so yeah, so I'd say that's probably the main one that we that we see consistently across the high performers. And what about those big rocks for you? I know you said they're not sexy, they're not, they're not able to be sold as products or anything, but it might be teaching the listeners to suck eggs a little bit, but what are, what are some of your world-class basics in terms of nutrition? Things like, I mean, the hydration, that people often say like water's a forgotten nutrient, like you can eat really well, but if your hydration isn't on point, that can actually have quite a detrimental, sorry, detrimental effect on recovery, energy, sleep, um, and, and obviously your immunity as well. So hydration is a big one that they they focus on and simple things would be waking up in the morning, having a, a pint of water, that's the first thing they drink, making sure that in their car, they have a water bottle or two there just in case, having a water bottle um, that they carry around with them that they can just tip away at. And then also just making sure that they drink well in and around meals is really, is really key. Understanding like what's required. I mean, James Morton terms this really well in terms of like fueling for the work required. So they're very good at knowing what fuels to put in at the right times and how to kind of build and adapt their plate accordingly. Um, but then also I would say just focusing on that variety of different foods. I think that's so often overlooked, not particularly sexy, but it's so important. And I think we're going to come on to immunity in a bit. It's one of the key things you can do for your immunity is to eat a really or consume a really good variety of foods, you know, every day of the week. That doesn't mean that your shopping trolley needs to be full of every fruit and veg there is or type of carb, but just mixing it up and, and having a plan for the week ahead. So they're really good at planning. You know, this is what I'm going to purchase from the supermarket, the shops, do my online order. They get it all in, they're prepared. And actually they find that it makes life much easier when they just get a simple checklist out, which is so powerful. Tick it off. This is what I've got. Here's my week ahead. I'm sorted. Um, so yeah, things like that are really, really powerful and really impactful. But just I, I think they're overlooked quite a lot. Yeah, definitely. And I, I was reading your, um, I think it was you that wrote it actually, the, the blog on your website around like, the compound effect and the the habits and everything that, and how it, how habits can compound over time, and these are the things that it, it's why it's so important, isn't it? Because the things that players hopefully do every day, but without really realizing the true effect it's having long term. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly right. I mean, it's like, for example, if you're walking into a shop and there's someone walking quite close behind you, you open the door for yourself. You just naturally hold it. Well, if you're good, if you're good, then you, you hold. <laughs> <laughs> some people might not like you hold, you hold the door open for the person who's close behind you you don't even think about it twice you just do it or if someone yeah. offers something or gives you something or whatever you just say thanks or please and that's what we try and build into the nutrition framework for athletes and that's what allows them to be more reassured more confident and also once they've mastered those we can then move on to the next phase which is we which is where we get into more of the the kind of specifics i suppose and you've mentioned there as well, when you're talking about those habits, like having the, the pint of water in the morning when you first get up, I think they call it habit stacking, don't they? Where you put like habits back to back. Um, and that, that's important as well, isn't it? Rather than just saying, right, you've got to eat, uh, sorry, you've got to drink X amount per day. You're doing it at this time, but after this certain habit, like getting up in the morning or whatever it is, because then they've got the specifics then behind it and they can then embed it, can't they? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the difficult thing as well is, is knowing you can definitely get a good gauge on it but knowing how much an athlete or an athlete knowing how much they should drink on a daily basis and also eat in terms of calories and macros it's just it's almost impossible for them with everything else that's going on so actually if they can just get into the good routines the right habits understand how to listen to their body almost that kind of like mindful eating approach that that's so powerful and that's where with what we do at the edge, we almost, the, the kind of when we, if we're working with a new athlete, we'll kind of like front stack it, front load it um, with, with the kind of like the fundamentals. 
But then almost our job is to coach ourselves out of the process over time. So we're like, right, in six months or a year's time, we don't want to see you as much. That's not because we don't like you, but because we're building you to a place where you can become far more autonomous. And actually this investment, whether it's financial or in your time and your energy into this now, will benefit you so much in six months time and the future because you'll just you'll be able to listen to your body, understand it, know what's better to do. And then we might just do a few consultations throughout the year to kind of catch up, top up, update on the latest science, latest products, latest foods, et cetera, um, and, and then go from there, really. Yeah, and one thing I also love about the stuff that you've put out is where you've talked about splitting the day up, splitting the day into quarters. And I think it ties into that a little bit, doesn't it? Because when the athlete or the player has got that knowledge to be able to adapt, like you mentioned at the start, adapting to different sort of circumstances and that resilience to sort of just deal with situations that come up the splitting into quarters can you talk us through that in terms of like how that how you um put that into play with players and how that looks yeah yeah definitely it's, it's really simple actually and i think i definitely didn't coin the concept um i think it may have been steve magnes on twitter who i first saw put it out a, a while ago and i just thought that's amazing and i think so what we do is we, we, we challenge athletes to think of their day in quarters. So obviously morning, mid-afternoon, late afternoon, and then evening time. And I think this is a message for like all athletes, but, not, but, but also anyone, in that no one, even the champions, the world champions, they're not expected to be perfect all the time. They can't be perfect all the time. And I think they need to just like it's good when they, they can cut themselves a little bit of slack and not feel bad if they go off piece or off tangent. Yeah. Now, instead of it, we obviously hear quite frequently in the nutrition community about cheat day or cheat meals or whatever it might be. And, you know, we know that if you have six days good and then one day that's horrendously bad, you can actually undo all of your hard work in just that one day. So, <laughs> and I've definitely been baked into that myself a couple of times that, that you'll never see on Instagram, for example, <laughs> or Twitter. But, um, but I think like if, if athletes can adopt the mindset of, you know, splitting their day into quarters, that means, that, okay, cool. If they wake up and things quite don't quite go to plan or for some reason or other, they might have had the best night's sleep in the world, but it, they just don't feel great and something doesn't go well. Well, actually they can pull that back they can look at the other three quarters of the day and think, right, this hasn't gone to plan. I'm not going to let the whole day go to waste. I'm going to overcome this and I'm going to improve and get back on track. And that way at the end of the day, they can think, cool, well, I've got three of these quarters spot on or as best as I can do. Only one went bad. And actually that's what helps over time for them to have that mindset and kind of overcome those challenges and feel better for it at the end of the day. So it's just a really simple but effective technique that we use. Well, it's very real then, isn't it? Because like there are going to be so many obstacles and factors that do crop up. And like you say, it just I suppose it just means that you can move past it, which is what we probably should do anyway. But then rather than ruling a day out, you're ruling a section of a day and yeah. you're able to move on and get onto the next meal and get back into control at some point, I suppose, aren't you? Yeah, spot on. Exactly right. And then just, just on that as well, when we're talking about things not necessarily being um, in control, we can talk around the match day. Um, and obviously clubs will take control of, of where players are staying and meals and all the rest of it. But when we're talking about optimally fueling for game day, for match day, I was just going to start with like, do you see any like common mistakes that players make? And I'm not necessarily right at the top level because I think a lot of things are controlled at that point, but maybe a little bit further down the ladder. Are there anything that sort of jump out that, that you feel like you can help with at that point? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think again, it just comes down to getting into like a basic structure with it. I mean, we have a lot of players who, you know, come to us and they say, look, I would, I just don't really know what's best to eat and I don't really know what's best to do depending upon the different types of days. So one of the key things that we do, whether we're working quite intricately with a player <clears throat> over say the course of a season or whether we're just kind of doing a one-off few consultations and a one-off um, plan for them, so to speak, is that we get that framework in place. And I think particularly on match day, 
that's when players can sometimes get it a little bit wrong in that they usually see or can often see the the kind of pre-match meal, <clears throat> excuse me, as the time to kind of like shuttle in the carbs. They're like, right, <clears throat> I need to carb load. This is my key time. Let's gain as much as I can. And then lo and behold, they feel quite sluggish on the pitch because most of it's sitting in their stomach. It's not yet been digested. The blood flow is going to the muscles, not to the gut. And it can cause all sorts of problems. Then they get in touch and they're like, oh, you know, I don't feel great on match day, but I'm having, you know, a lot of carbs. So we try and educate them on, and a lot of people, a lot of footballers at the top level do know this now, but actually the, the kind of 24 to 48 hours are the key time to carb load. Now, depending upon the fueling requirements, depending upon the position, the size of the player, what they would normally eat, etc., they might be comfortable doing that carb load 24 hours before the game. Or they might actually prefer to do it over two days because they're not a huge eater. They don't have a huge appetite and they prefer to kind of, <coughs> excuse me, like spread out the spread out the carbs over a prolonged period of time just to make sure they're getting enough in. So really, it's like it's really individual specific. Um, I think in terms of the, the simplicities of it, it's simply, you know, getting in a a frequent intake of carbohydrates. So it's like a carbohydrate based breakfast, lunch, dinner, couple of carbohydrate based snacks, especially with like the pre-match meal, <clears throat> we tend to reduce vegetables and particularly the high fiber vegetables, such as your carrots, your broccoli, your cauliflower, etc. because it's not really a crucial time to get that in. And it can actually slow the rate of carb absorption and digestion. And the same with kind of like fatty foods as well, will tend to take those away. So sometimes players might have a couple of rounds of toast, butter and some peanut butter on. We might just swap that for something a little bit simpler, whether it's toast, some margarine and some honey or some jam. So again, it's not particularly um, appealing, so to speak, in terms of, you know, we're not going to sell loads of books on this and become best published authors. Um, but actually it's simple stuff that actually has the best impact and also just working out what the players are actually used to. And that can sometimes be overlooked in that, you know, we know what's best from a science perspective, but also the players are the athletes. They're the ones who've been in their bodies for 20, 30 years. And it's actually sitting down and instead of telling them, it's actually having a conversation and just listening to them and saying, look, what do you do? Let's map it out. Let's look at what works well. Let's look at what's the non-negotiables that you're not willing to change at all, i.e. some Nutella before a game. Yeah. Um, the whole placebo psychological effect. Um, and, and then working with them to actually curate that strategy so that they're really happy. They're having the foods that they enjoy and they actually know what to do if we're on the other end of the phone, but also if we're not on the other end of the phone as well. Now, I mentioned at the start of the episode our upcoming networking events. If you can't make it to the events, if you're not based in the UK or you can't make it to those specific dates, the good news is the presentations at our events are always recorded and uploaded to our online community. So if you're not a member, go and check it out by going to footballfitfed.com, clicking the community tab and signing up there. That will give you one month free on the community. After that, it's only £4.99 per month. You'll get access to the presentations coming up from these events, as well as all previous events, all uploaded on there already. We've got practitioners um, like Damien Hughes, Dawn Scott, Nick Grantham, Chris Barnes, Evie Casagrande, uh, Will Abbott, Laura Bowen, and many others that have got presentations available to watch back on demand on the community. So if you're not already a member, join coaches from right across the football pyramid, right across the world as well, by going to footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab, sign up for your free month and come and get involved. Here's part two of the podcast with Scott Robinson. And you mentioned some of the foods that you sort of lean away from around, around the game, like the higher fat foods and the sort of higher fiber uh, vegetables. When do they come back in? Can that, they come back in straight after? Like when's the time to put them back in? Yeah, so we typically leave it around about six hours. So it might be the meal after a match or a couple of meals after a match if it's an earlier kickoff that we tend to keep those out and then the next day we'll put them in because it's typically a recovery lighter training day um, where you know carbohydrate fueling requirements are lower so we can actually put those back in which actually benefits also because one the micronutrients but two it also helps keep them fuller for longer um, that obviously changes if I mean COVID's not helped with this if, if fixtures get cancelled and then all of a sudden they've got 
four games in nine days, then obviously that's when it changes again. And that's where the coaching process comes in, which is where, well, on match day plus one, yeah, it is like this in terms of let's get more veggies in, maybe reduce the carbs a touch, increase more healthy fats. But actually, if you're playing twice in four days or twice in three days, this is what it should look like, less of a focus. So they know where their nutrition priorities are depending on how their schedule changes. And is that like one of the key things that you think that you're teaching players is how to sort of manipulate? Because we hope that players have sort of basic knowledge about what, what foods we should be having and what carbs, what are proteins, what are fats and things like that. Is that where you see your role fitting quite key with players? Is that, right, this is your week. Obviously, it's not ideal. You've got three games in the week or whatever it is, hardly any rest time, any recovery time. This is how you just need to tweak things. Yeah, it's exactly that. It's- you know, at the start, it's kind of us maybe coaching them how to do it, what's best practice, a little bit of, you know, like back and forth and just reminders and yeah, all that side of things. And then and then all of a sudden it's great because you see almost like that light bulb moment when they start to feel more empowered, more in control. And they're like, yeah, I've got it. I've nailed it. I know I know what I'm here uh, doing here now. And then they're like, right, what's next? What are we going to move on to next? And they just continue to build across usually we work with players across a season so they continue to build those those habits and, and knowledge base across the whole season um which is a really nice moment for us actually um it's good and also you know if injury strikes if immunity strikes they have their kind of like immunity packs that they can tap into that are always there that maybe the supplement um procedure kind of like changes and protocol um yeah. So, and importantly, I think even especially in terms of supplements that, well, with this could be a whole podcast in itself, but the players understand why they're taking what they're taking. One yeah. of the things I've seen most often is that they don't like, players don't like a generalized, a generalized approach with nutrition. They don't want to do the same as what every other player is doing because everyone's different. But in particular with the supplements, if you know, they're just given, right, take these five supplements. And so it's everyone else in the team. It doesn't sit well. And actually that then builds resistance. They're less likely to do it. So I think that's where the education comes in and the personalization through whether it's blood tests or other different types of tests. And we can say, cool, we don't need all of this. We can get this through food. Let's focus on this. We don't want to turn it into your pharmacy. Let's focus on why you can't get through food um, or whatever it might be. And here's what we've provided and here's why we've provided it just really importantly how it can benefit you and if they see the benefit they're way more likely to actually take it and be consistent with it too and just on supplements as well like how much you see that um sort of requirement player to player change like other sort of staples where if you were in that situation you probably could give majority of players x y and z and it will do the majority of their job or do you see quite a big fluctuation between players requirements from what they need from blood tests and the rest of it yeah i think we do see quite a big difference in the requirements when we do blood tests on the players um just to kind of look at if there's any deficiencies there or any kind of like borderline deficiencies or even anything that they're taking too much of so we know for example that iron deficiency isn't great but also iron overload can be damaging and detrimental Mm -hmm. too so we don't want players like thinking okay iron's important for energy uh oxygenation of blood cells etc I'm going to just keep taking it for forever because it's going to help my energy. Like that is not a good thing. So again, it's the education. Um, So it does vary depending on the blood test results and other test results too. But then also it varies depending upon their receptiveness, their willingness to take, et cetera, et cetera, what their general diet is like. But I think there can be certain staples across the majority of the board for players insofar as winter months, vitamin D, supplementation very difficult if not impossible to get through food alone and we're not really getting too much sunlight at the moment um <laughs> but not that we ever do in the win- in the in the british uh winter but um like probiotic supplementation as well there's more emerging evidence on that um for obviously your gut health some info and research on recovery and potentially sleep sleep quality as well and then maybe fish oils also um if the diet isn't is lacking kind of like oily fish on a regular basis. Yeah, definitely. And I wanted to get into an area that I think is quite 
current at the moment with certain things going on in the world in terms of immunity. And when we're saying about not being able to sell the, the world-class basics, boosting immunity is something that probably does sell everywhere, doesn't it? And I saw, again, another article you guys put out about boosting immunity and basically versus protecting immune health being two different sort of ways of thinking about it, two different things. So can you talk around that a little bit on how we can go about that? And maybe, maybe some of the sort of myths that are out there as well that we need to try and ignore. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, you walk into any Boots or Holland and Barrett, not to shoot anyone down in particular, but, you know, you look, you're just overwhelmed. It's almost like you have choice overload with the immunity products that are out there. And obviously the claims sometimes that, well, a lot of the time they're not actually backed up by rigorous, robust science. And again, those basics are kind of forgotten about. Um, I think there isn't, you know, you can't, you can't boost your immunity per se, but what you can do is you can protect your immune health. And with that comes, you know, the, the main things again are keeping well hydrated throughout the day, eating a variety of different foods. I can't emphasize that enough. That variety is key. Fruits, vegetables, different types of grains, protein sources, etc. Again, you're not really going to see that sell on a shelf, except for in a supermarket where you're actually buying the foods. Trying to come back down to earth with your foods as well, I think is really important. So trying to eat minimally processed foods that aren't, you know, don't have a lot of uh, artificial ingredients in <clears throat> is also really important. But one of the things that we educate the players on and the athletes is, you know, it's okay to have them from time to time. Some of the questions that we get are, for example, is it okay to have Diet Coke? And my next my follow-up question will be, how many do you have? Because yeah. <laughs> it completely depends. And if they, even if they say one, I'm like, yeah, but is it one can or is it one two litre bottle? Yeah. I've learned how to continue to probe on these questions over time. But <clears throat> if it's one or two cans a week, I don't really think that's the problem. I mm. think that's fine. And actually, it helps to keep them on the straight and narrow throughout the week. If you completely take things away, that's when, you know, the binges can happen. People go off piste, et cetera, et cetera. And that's where we use a swimming pool analogy. And we say to athletes, you know, if you, if you imagine all the food you ate over the course of a year went into a swimming pool and you eat well 90% of the time or 80% of the time, 10, 20% of the time, you allow yourself to have the occasional treat, whatever it might be. When you look at it at the end of the year or the end of the month or the end of the quarter, what would you see most of? Can you see that one kind of Coke in there? Mm. it's not it's not the be all and end all so i think that's really important um and in terms of the immune boosting supplements i think there aren't a great deal out there i mean obviously we know that things like zinc acetate um is good at reducing the duration of the common cold so there's certain things that we might throw in if somebody does become ill to further protect their immune health and hopefully speed up that recovery process so your vitamin c which obviously you can get from foods as well is particularly good probiotics also good and vitamin d and ensuring that that isn't suboptimal or out of range and it's within range is also quite important too um so again yeah sorry if it's a little bit boring but it's it does again come back to the basics and just trying not to be fooled by the marketing hype because a lot of the immune boosting supplements are pricey and people often think well actually this is more expensive or higher price therefore it must be more impactful and more beneficial for me but it's not it's not the case and, and those sort of times um when maybe people are run down and they're feeling under the weather or even obviously we've got covid in the world now so like <laughs> immunity is being um tested isn't it with a lot with a lot of people are those the times where you just mentioned some of the sort of approaches and maybe supplementation um, like the zinc is that the time where you would just put that in play you'd hold hold back and then that would be the sort of approach you take at that time or would that be something you're trying to run throughout the year or does it depend on the player yeah I mean definitely I think in, in terms of the overall year we'd look to include those almost like immune protecting foods regularly just so that we actually firstly reduce the chances of somebody getting ill then if somebody does become ill we'd obviously inquire about the nature of the illness, severity, et cetera. And then most players, if not all, would have their own immunity pack 
whether it's in their house, in their flat, in their training bag, whatever it might be, we send them the protocol, hop on a call with them, explain it to them, and then they have it right there. If they have it right there, it means that they've got it. If we then like react and we're like, right, we've got all of this on order for you, could take three to seven days to arrive and they're likely, you know, we, we can't attack it straight away. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, then, and just on when you were talking before about um, variability um, in terms of your food selection, I just wanted to go into it just a little bit because if people are listening to that, does that mean every meal's got to be different or does it mean that every few weeks you've just got to change things up? Like how much variety do we need? Yeah, that's a wicked question. That's a really good question. And I think some people are a lot better at it than others. So I think it depends. I think you have to look at what, I guess, what's the barrier to the variety or to getting more variety in? Is it lack of willingness is it kind of lack of, you know, whether you, you, you trying to stick to a specific budget, whether you're cooking for just yourself or a small family team, whether you can cook or whether you just won't cook, whether you're a master chef or a master chef in the making, etc. It, it all depends. It all depends on that. So there's no kind of straight answer as to what's best. I mean, I guess what's best would be to have different foods on different days and ultimately different meals. But actually, that's not practical for a lot of people. And actually, if we try and recommend that, it can be overwhelmed. <clears throat> and if we overwhelm too much and make it too complicated, it, it, you'll just start back at zero again. We just give up. And I think that's why a lot of diet plans, as particularly restrictive diets, they don't work because they're just not sustainable over time. And I think that's going back to where we're talking about individual support for players. It's not just about finding out about their metabolism, their physiology, and their training schedule and their past injury history, et cetera. That's really important, but actually we have to focus on them also as people and understand what their entire situation is like. And actually that changes the dynamics of, of our advice so much because you can recommend something to a player, but they might be like, yeah, but I've got three kids who I need to cook for as well. You know, my wife's also helping out. She only has this much time. I only have this much time. It's not practical. But if yeah. we can find all of that out, we can piece something together that, that ticks all of those boxes. Yeah, no, it's, it's why I love having these conversations with people like yourself, because I think nutrition just gets so, um, people make it so complex, don't they? And they, they really confuse things. And when people read more and more, I've had a conversation with a friend today and he was completely confused about um, all sorts of stuff. And I just tried helping him with some, just some basics. And speaking to you, like when people are listening to hopefully this podcast, they, they should be listening, thinking these are basics, but are we doing them? And, and are we are we putting in, into play at the right time and making it easy for athletes to understand? And like you say, giving that support where it's needed. I think that's really important, isn't it? To going back to those basics and nailing them. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And, and also, you know, when, once uh, people, athletes, they start seeing the benefits of it, they actually realize, actually, you know what, eating well, not only is it improving my, you know, my energy levels, how I feel, my sleep quality, things like that, but actually it's improving like my free time. Like it actually frees up time. If you can mm -hmm. prep and you can get into a good routine and there's a good structure, it doesn't take up time. It actually frees up time, but it's just that initial investment and that kind of like getting across the line with it breaking that barrier that's a little bit tricky and I can fully understand why but once you've done it you, yeah that's how you kind of you know that's long-term success really brilliant Scott well, I could carry on this sort of topic all day but I'm going to be very respectful of your time and I wanted to go into some of the um we finish each podcast with some quick fire questions cool. they don't they don't have to be so quick um but the first one just being who are some of the biggest influences on your career so far? Ooh, uh, I'll try and make it quick. Fire. Uh, as I said, Don McLaren, he's the guy who first got me into nutrition. Um, also just an amazing researcher, amazing guy. Um, helped me quite a lot. Then when I was also at John Moore's, um, Professor Graham Close, Professor James Morton, fantastic practitioners, fantastic people. And just really inspirational as well. Um, so I think they inspired me quite a lot, as well as Gareth Wallace at, 
at the University of Birmingham was just the best PhD supervisor I could possibly ask for. Fantastic. Um, so those guys were great. I'd have to say also, you know what, the athletes, just being yeah. in and around the athletes, spending time with them, whether we go away, we spend a couple of weeks abroad or in a hotel and you actually just get to know them as people and you get to see, you know, you often forget that they're such high performers until maybe like if it's boxing on fight night and there's 70,000 people there and they're like, there's cameras everywhere. You think, oh my God, I forgot you're like a complete <laughs> like superstar because you spent all week with them. But actually just learning so much from them by being around them and seeing their mindset, their mentality, their routine. I think they're like, yeah, they're super inspiring. And I just think you can learn and glean so much from them and hopefully they can glean from us, but actually we learn the other way too. Like we learn loads from them and it's really helped shape me as both a practitioner, professional and as a person and how I go about my, my life in general, really. Yeah, brilliant. And um, next one, what would you say when you're working with players, either one-on-one or whatever it is, or spending time, like you say, away with them, what would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner? Being on it. I think, yeah, I think just being on it and understanding, understanding the room, because I think, you know, my job ultimately is to take the stress off them, to have it covered, to have it done, never kind of moan in front of them. Like if something's going wrong, they never see it because yeah. it's not to do with them. It is, it is an appreciating it's not about me or about us. And when I say us, I mean the other practitioners in the team. It's about, it's about them and what's best for them. So I think being on it, understanding the room, because obviously sometimes it can be different emotions in sport and, and, and times when you might need to kind of just hold back on certain things. And then other times when you might need to push it a little bit more because actually pushing it is what they need. Um, and that's something that I don't think I've perfected. I think there's a lot, <clears throat> a lot more work to do on it. And I don't know if I'll ever perfect it, but it's definitely something that I've improved over, over time. Yeah, no, that's quality. Um, and then the final one, being managing director of a company and having all these athletes that you're working with, in terms of like CPD, like continued learning, what's your approach to that? Yeah. So is that for me or for the team? Um, maybe for both. For you personally, it would be interested, but maybe for the team as well. Yeah. So for, I mean, I guess for myself, it's, I feel I'm, I feel every day is a CPD. I feel I wear so many different hats within the company. And actually, you know, we've got a really lucky. We've got some amazing practitioners within the company who know far more about certain things than, than I do. So I learn loads from them. Hopefully they learn bits from me. Um, but also just like wearing different hats, you know, speaking to whether it's accountants or a legal team or marketing agencies or athletes themselves. Like I figured that CPD too. Um you know, we also try and learn from lots of other areas too. So not just within sports science or sports nutrition, but we also look at what other professionals, other companies, other people are doing outside of that remit. And we glean what's great that they're doing and have those conversations too, because we think we can learn a lot from that, that we can then bring into our own practice. I mean, it's two, I think everyone's kind of, I've just by chance come here, everyone's seen the Atomic Habits. I've literally, I'll wear this on my table. (laughs) (laughs) We don't get a kickback for this as well. We should probably- uh, (laughs) We should. Yeah, there's no no discount code or anything. (laughs) Katie Milkman, How to Change, is an amazing book on habits, habit stacking. Dan, who works with us, he's uh, he kind of recommended that, and that's been a game changer. So, yeah, I guess there's no, there is a specific strategy within the company for CPD, um, but often it, it kind of just happens in the day to day running of things, probably without me even realizing sometimes. Yeah, when you're surrounded by good people, it, it happens in conversations that you don't have to plan, doesn't it? So, yeah, that's that's really important. Scott, this has been quality, mate. I've really enjoyed it. I think we've covered some some really good stuff. And obviously, a lot of the time we're talking around S&C, sports science, and it's great to cover this sort of stuff because I'm really interested in it. So thank you very much for coming on and giving up your time. Um, just finally, if people want to keep up uh, with the work that you do, but also the company as well, where would you direct them? Yeah, sure. So probably the best place is either our Instagram or our website. So our Instagram is... 
I'm Scott underscore the edge and the edge account is at the edge HPL. And then our website is just the edge Perfect, mate. Well, thank you again for your time. Really appreciate it. And uh, all the best going forward. Yes, ben, really enjoyed it. Thanks, mate. All Thanks, best. mate. Thank you for listening to episode 173. And big thanks to Scott as well for coming on the podcast. I know he's super busy with everything he's got going on with the company and the work that he does with players and all the boxers and all the athletes that he works with. So I really appreciate him giving up the time and coming on. I think we covered some really good stuff on this podcast, obviously slightly different and a little bit more of a nutrition focus. But I think one thing that stood out at the start is when we spoke about players seeking out that individual help. Um, we spoke about obviously there being nutritionists at clubs and it's very similar to S&C, but the amount of um, players that practitioners are having to, to work with now Players are seeking out that individual help. And so someone like Scott that's got a business um, set up for this sort of thing, obviously it's a great opportunity for players to get a little bit more individual help. So he also spoke about players being more receptive to nutrition. So looking into some of the, obviously the positives of eating well and fueling right for games, players becoming more receptive to that now. He talked about world-class basics. Obviously, we, we talked about habits. We spoke about the book that we both had. Um, anyone on video would have watched when we both got the book out, that had it right next to our computers, um, which was Atomic Habits. But world-class basics. So some of the, the athletes that he's working with doing the basic stuff like drinking enough water, eating enough protein, but doing it consistently. And that's the real important part of it. It's not just a one-off. It's just making sure you're consistent. He also spoke about coming back to earth. So trying to base the majority of your nutrition around things that you can just grab out the ground or off a tree and trying to get things as, as um, minimally processed as possible. So some really cool stuff from Scott in this episode. I think the stuff around immunity is really important as well, obviously at this time with, with COVID and everything that we've been going through, not just for players, but for coaches as well. So I hope you enjoyed this episode and please give it a share. As always, share it out to friends, family, colleagues, um, copy the link and send it out to people. And if you haven't done so already, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. I'd really appreciate that as well. Go and give Scott a follow. He's over on Twitter at Scott underscore The Edge. Thank you again for listening. Really appreciate the support. And we'll be back next week for episode 174.